So this morning I'm going to speak on, I think, one of my favourite passages of the Bible. I, I say that most weeks, to be honest with you. And when you get to preach, you can preach, you know, this is just great stuff to, you never run out of things or passages that you really want to uh, share from. And it's a great, great privilege uh, to do this. Now, how do you respond when um, you're asked a difficult question when you're put on the spot? Are you a sort of person that kind of blags your way through? Does it kind of really stump you? Do you look blank? Do you say something you think, I really wish I'd not said that? And uh, many times, I can give you many occasions. I remember once when my son put us on the spot, myself and my good wife, Wendy, because we'd gone to a friend's wedding. He'd, He'd remarried. And the service was over, and people were milling around, trying to find people to chat to. So I didn't know many people there. So me and my son, he was about six, we went, and there was this big pile of presents there uh, that people had brought in and, and put on this table. And while I was standing there just looking at this loads of presents with my son, the groom walks up and starts to talk to me. And my son says, Oh, Daddy. Which present is ours? <laughs> I tell you, we went through a really bad time of not buying presents for weddings. I, I don't know what it was. We'd always turn up when the bride turned up, and uh, we'd forget to get a present. And he put me on the spot at that moment, Daddy, which present is ours? And to be honest, I had no answer. None of them. But I didn't want to say none of them. I think I must have said, oh... Patrick will just have to see, won't he, or something like that. Anyway, now we're going to look at somebody who was really put on the spot uh, in the Bible, and that is Ezekiel. How would you respond to this situation? So we read in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 3. So it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out uh, by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. He was full of dry bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now that was the question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? So he has this vision of this valley of dry bones, and this is the question. And I'm sure that Ezekiel, when the Lord asked him this question, would have said, Lord, ask me another one. Ask me another one. Um, ask me something else. You know, ask somebody else. Uh, but his reply was brilliant. His reply was brilliant. He says this, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now he's afraid to say yes. He's afraid to say no. What a word of wisdom. You, O Lord, know whether these bones can live. Now, this is a a prophecy. There was a vision concerning God's people back in about 600 uh, BC. And it was the time when Israel was was in Babylon. And God sent some major prophets. The major prophets in the Old Testament, if you don't know this, are actually the ones that are long-winded. No, the longest books. They're the major prophets. So at that time, Ezekiel comes to prophesy, Jeremiah comes to prophesy, Daniel comes to prophesy, and we're looking at Ezekiel, a major prophet. It's a long book. There's a lot in there. They're in Babylon. They're going to be there for 70 years. Now, Israel were there because they'd been complacent with their faith, and God had allowed this 
to happen. They've been complacent with their faith, their actions, with their idolatry. Uh, and whereas today we wouldn't kind of go and find something to bow down and kiss the feet off properly, um, somebody says it's an idol is taking something good and making it the ultimate thing. So that could be anything that we can make the ultimate thing and make an idol. They was tribal unrest. We know that they had a divided kingdom. There were ten tribes and there was another two tribes. They were totally divided. And this is the image. This is the image um, that Ezekiel had. We don't know if it exactly looked like that, but this valley that was full of dry bones. So their condition seemed to be uh, impossible, lifeless. They were divided. Uh, they, They didn't have their own king anymore. And, um, and like a valley of dry bones. And within this mess, this total mess, God sends Ezekiel to speak. And at the start of chapters 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, Ezekiel says, the word of God came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. So he was definitely hearing the word of the Lord for what was going on in their situation. And he said, Sovereign Lord, you only know... But then God goes, says to Ezekiel, he says this, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So not only does God speak to Ezekiel personally about the situation, Ezekiel then commissioned to prophesy to these dry bones within the vision. And he was to start by saying, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Understanding that God is speaking to us, when he is speaking to us, is of paramount importance. So important that we recognize when God is speaking to us. I like that the word that Wendy had this morning about God knows us by name. If, if that's for you, then you just felt something in your spirit, then, then take that this morning. That God is saying, I know you by name. I know everything about you. A friend of mine uh, was in a service once, and uh, he, one of these really acute prophetic people got up, and, uh, and, and he just said the name Sarah. Now, people weren't too rude because this was a very prophetic person, so even though it was a little bit odd, and just sat down. But he didn't know until after the service somebody came up to him and said, that was amazing, that was for me this morning, because I prayed this morning, said, God, if you're there... Will you show me that you know my name? And fortunately, it was Sarah. They went to speak to him. So new. So dry bones hear the word of the Lord. I went to a conference. I've been a Christian many years. I've been to many conferences. And I went to one, and the the guy speaking was was called uh, Jim Graham. And he's a Scottish pastor, and he had a lovely Scottish voice that could put you to sleep quite quickly, not because he's boring, just a wonderful voice and um, some Scots, Scotsmen and Scotswomen just have that kind of voice, don't they? And um, anyway, he, he stood up, started the com- two-day conference, two-day conference, and he starts with this. When did God last speak to you? What did he say? And what have you done about it? And when he said that, I thought, stop. Just stop there, because for two days I'd be happy just to go away and try and answer those three questions. It, it kind of really hit me 
has been so significant, so important, that I thought if I had two days that I could spend alone with God and just go through those questions, that would be sufficient for me. But of course he carried on, he was getting paid, he was invited to speak at this conference. But it was so important, wasn't it? When did God last speak? What did he say? And what have you done about it? It is so important we recognize when God speaks and we respond to it. We are doers of the word. Now, God is committed to our salvation, our freedom, freedom in Christ, our healing, our restoration, our thriving, our growing, our unity, our purpose, our potential in him as making a difference. And he has something to say, wonderful things to say about all of those things. And we need to be, he knows what situation that we're in. And those of you who come as students, we, you know we give you a very warm welcome. God knows the situation that you're in. He knows what season of life that people are in. He has something to say to us. And Isaiah, one of the other major prophets, prophesied around this time, it, just a great thought that God gave him, where God says, for, you, for your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord. Your ways and not my ways, says the Lord. As far as the heavens are above the earth, are my thoughts from your thoughts, and my ways from your ways. We need to know God's thoughts. We need to know God's thoughts. We need to know God's ways. And here is Ezekiel being told, he prophesies, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You need to know God's thoughts and God's ways. You're a valley, Israel, you're a valley of dry bones. You've got to hear the word of the Lord. God loves to speak to us. So this was an amazing prophecy concerning the current state and the future state of God's people. As I said, they were isolated, displaced, oppressed, insignificant, lost, aimless, lifeless. And when Ezekiel prophesied, the, the big question was, can these bones live? Can this nation rise up again? So by the time we get to verse 10, though, it's quite exciting, because I'm jumping a little bit from verse 4 to verse 10. Because when you get to verse 10, you kind of give the end of the story. You get the end of the story. How many of you would like to know the end of the latest James Bond film? No, I'm not going to do that. But sometimes we like to know the end of the story. Verse 10, it says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. So there we see this incredible transformation from a valley of dry bones to becoming a vast army. Now, theologians have quibbled over the years, whereas this is referring simply to the nation of Israel as they come out of Babylon, and there was an incredible transformation. They kind of staggered out bit by bit. They rebuilt the wall. They built the temple. We had the generate, you know, Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, and Israel's greatest king, King David. Against all odds, God revises this nation. And some theologians think this is referring to when Jesus comes. That Jesus is referring to this, that Jesus is going to raise up an army. They're going to advance God's kingdom that we've been singing about so well this morning. And um, Jesus starts with 12. 
And some people might think, well, against all odds, the next 2,000 years, hundreds of millions of people become Christians. But it's not against all odds because Jesus is the Lord of the church. So it's not against all of the odds. I will build my church. The gates of hell have no chance. He has no chance. So he's not against all odds. Because Jesus is the Lord of the church. Over the years, I can honestly say, I've been very blessed, fortunate, to visit different places around the UK and, dare I say, even different parts of the world where it's as if just, just seeing some things that God has done. Now, do you know, get, hear me right here. There's nothing that excites me more when somebody shares their story with me as how they become a Christian or how God has spoken to them, how God has met them, even, even, even in what others might think such a small and trivial way, but they know that it's God. And when we know it's God, I love to hear about it. It's just fantastic. And we know that God's at work, even though we don't always feel that it's him at work, but he is at work. But there's been times when I've had just the privilege of being in places where God has just worked amongst thousands of people. And I don't know why, uh, about 15, 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Colombia, uh, Bogota, one of the darkest cities in the world, but actually the fastest growing church in the world was in that city. And... I remember there was about 15,000 leaders from around the world that went to this conference. And then we joined in on a Sunday morning, and, and, and they had it. It's like Wembley Arena. about 25,000 people. They had service after service after service after service. We were there for about 10 days, about a week before we were going to depart. They decided because we were there, they were going to have the service, the, next, the following Sunday service in the, the football stadium. So that was, the, that was the same size as Wembley Stadium. And it wasn't, it wasn't the time of social media where you can get word out to everybody. They just told a few people and it just spread through the small groups. Just spread through the small groups. Word of mouth, word of mouth, just spread through the small groups. The next Sunday, 80,000 people were in the stadium. And all these small, it was wonderful because all these small groups, before they went in the stadium, they were meeting as small groups and praying together and sharing together. You know, that's where they were doing their thing. And 80,000 people, and that was only... 20% the size of the church that was in that stadium. Now, I don't say, I'm not saying that we've got to be like that. What I'm saying is that God can do it. I mean, God is good. I mean, the gates of hell have no chance. You've got, if Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, I mean, it's wonderful. And, and here, we see whether, you know, a miraculous thing that God in the Old Testament miraculous things that God is doing within our times. And it is in great, it's a great encouragement. Can these bones live? Well, actually, we find out that they did. And as Ezekiel prophesies, um, things start to move. So we pick it up from verse 4, if we may. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I'll attach tendons to you, make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So as I prophesied, as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. So these bones started to shift when Ezekiel prophesied, and they started to come together and form 
skeletons uh, as they, those bones were supposed to. This was within the vision. So they stopped being just a pile of bones and started to be formed into um, what God wanted them to be formed into. Now, I know that many people who have preached on this particular passage will jump very quickly to talk about small groups or cell groups or connect groups. And it's true, though, isn't it, that these bones, they had to come together into smaller units. They weren't just a pile of bones. It's when they came together into smaller units that something started to come alive within them. And as I've uh, uh, been a, some, a believer and a pastor and have been evangelist for many years, I, I'm a real believer in Christians getting together in smaller groups and uh, ministering to each other, discipling each other, worshipping together, serving together, encouraging each other in personal witness, looking out for each other. I, I'm a great believer in that. It's, it's said that uh, as far as research is concerned, because... Uh, can you get the next slide on, NG? Don't worry if it doesn't come up. But... Researchers, now there's many ways that Christians can engage with other Christians through the week, and it's reckoned that 63% of regular small group participants say they intentionally spend time with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith. Only 22% of those not in a small group would say the same. 73% uh, will say that they intentionally put in their spiritual gifts to use, serving God and others, compared to 42% of people who don't participate in a small group. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 says this, from the whole body, from the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love, I love the uh, statement on Causeway Vineyard Church in Northern Ireland, fantastic church, and a statement about a small group said, be a big part of something small. Be a big part of something Small. Don't just be a small part, be, be a big part. And the Holy Scripture, biblical history, church history indicates that Christians getting together in smaller groups at times is very important. And Cole George in his book, Prepare the Church for the Future, says this, It is, I contend, the most strategically significant foundation for spiritual formation and assimilation, for evangelism and leadership development, for the most essential functions that God has called upon the church. So I encourage you that it may be, just maybe, the word of the Lord for you at this moment is to connect with other Christians, smaller group of Christians. Now it's interesting as we move on within this prophecy, prophecy that as these bones came together and uh, they were still lifeless, it says, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So it's clearly not just about the structure. There has to be life in the structure. You can't just have the structure. And uh, you can't just have a structure that gives the impression of life. There has to be, there has to be, there has to be life. Now, I don't know if you, any of you um, have been to the Empire. How many of you have been to the Empire State Building? Okay, that's, uh, that's in New York. And... Uh, it's a magnificent building, it used to be the tallest building in the world, it's not the tallest in the building in the world now, but it is magnificent. You must have seen pictures of it similar to these. It was built, uh, f- they finished building it in 1931, and it was around the time of one of the uh, Great Depressions, and nobody rented any office space. It was making a huge loss, but they couldn't, have put, they couldn't put this, however 
equivalent to hundreds of millions into this building and to be seen to be a flop. So what they did during the day, they turned all the lights on. All the lights went on during the day. The electricity bill must have been horrendous. But the shame of building this building with no life in it, they just couldn't cope with it. So they, looked, so they made it look as if all the offices were filled. And at night, they, they, they just put lights on to make it look you know, very entertaining and very uh, attractive. As Christians, we can't just settle for the appearance of life. We can't settle for the appearance of life. Right back in the beginning, in Genesis, God breathed uh, into physical life and spiritual life. They were one of the same thing at that moment in time. Physical life and spiritual life were one of the same thing because there was no separation from God. But now a person can be physically alive but not spiritually alive. You can have a form of religion but not have the power of God. So you can even be religious and not know the life of God flowing through us. So Ezekiel goes on to say within his prophecy, and uh, here we go in verses 9 and 10, and we've touched on it slightly. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Now what an exciting picture that must have been for Ezekiel, because he must have understood the meaning of this prophecy, that God's people are going to be transformed from being a valley of dry bones and being a mighty army. Do you know, I've been a Christian many years, It's so easy to try and run on empty, but it's not so easy to run on empty, but we try to run on empty. How many of you here have ever run out of petrol? Okay, only a few. Now, those of you putting your hand up, and those of you not putting your hand up, that's fine, you you know, those who put your hand up, kind of seem to be looking around, who's looking, who's watching this moment in time. My mother always used to tell me, never let your tank go below halfway. And I've come across a lot of people, they tend to be female, very sensible, I've got to say sensible, they tend to do that. My mum said, never let it go below halfway. I said, mum, I'll never run out of petrol. I'll never run out of petrol. And the dial goes down, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Beep, beep, beep. Oh, I'll fill it up tomorrow, I'll fill it up tomorrow. I have. Once or twice. Run out of petrol. Not recently, though. Not recently. It creeps upon you, though. But if you don't do something about it, we can become incredibly complacent. So it doesn't matter how good, good your car is. It doesn't matter how expensive your car is. You can have the greatest car, the greatest engine, wonderful wheels, sat-nav, coffee holders air condition on both sides our latest car has got air condition on both sides the arguments in our car have halved (laughs) in one go as soon as we got that car we we have got a stronger marriage I've got to say because we've got air condition on both sides it is it really just no I'm just joking I'm joking Wendy likes it warm 
Um, and I like it below 100 degrees. So, no, no. <laughs> I like it. So it's funny. We can't. Anyway, you can have the latest things, the most expensive car, but you can't run on empty. Just can't do it. And as Christians, we can know how to pray. We can know how to worship. We can be the most gifted people in the world, but we cannot run on empty. And uh, Jeff Lucas, one of the greatest Christian communicators I've ever heard, he says this. He says, you know, I know how to do this. I know how to stand up and talk to people. I can share passages uh, from Scripture. And I could lead myself to believe that I can do it without God. But I can make no difference without him. And Jesus says, without me, you can do. You can do nothing. We're not made to run on empty. We can't do it. It's so good to allow God to fill us afresh. Like at Pentecost, times of refreshing may come. There's times within our lives that we need to say and ask other people to pray for us. So in verse 10, sorry, prophesied and breath entered entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So here they were, just to conclude, in a position now, transformed from a valley of dry bones, a vast army standing on their feet, ready to move forward. Ready to move forward. You know, I ne- don't think I've ever seen an army march backwards. Now, you might have seen it. They might have done it, You might have seen it. But I've never, I don't think I can recall ever seeing an army march backwards. They might have it in some display. I remember Jean Darnell, and I was being at uh, uh, another conference. And um, Jean Darnell, great prophetic ministry. <laughs> and uh, she was kind of... Um, uh, talking to those of us that were there, and um, she says, um, Christians are never on the defensive. We're never called to be on the defensive. We, we might be under attack, but we're not called to be on the defensive. And then she turns to the person who organized the conference and said, what is this conference called? And he says, oh, it's called a retreat. <laughs> and she says, Christians are never on a retreat. They never, they never retreat. They're always going forward. And uh, he, was, he was very humorous, and he was very embarrassed. But uh, don't call it a retreat. We're not retreating. <laughs> We're always preparing ourselves to move, to move forward. A vast army, together, equipped and empowered by God. Ready to take a necessary next step as he commands, he speaks, and he leads. I'm going to invite the band to uh, come up. In a moment, we're going to sing a particular song uh, that helps us to respond. Uh, but also, I will pray for us. So we covered uh, quite a bit of uh, ground there. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, when people speak on a Sunday morning, it, it is difficult to talk about every eventuality or every, every person's situation or every individual's season of life. But there's times when we say, God, how do I join up the dots here? What does this mean for me? How do I apply this to my situation? Lord, what are you saying to me? Because often I hope, I hope that sometimes on a Sunday morning that uh, we'll share things from the front that is a confirmation of what God is saying. That you might say, oh, God is speaking to me there. I mean, there's times when, you know, people say, oh, it was as if you were just speaking to me this morning. I'm not kind of... 
presumptuous that that is the case this morning. But we just pray that God will confirm some things that he's saying to us to help us to respond to it. That's why it's so important that we come together and, and allow God to do that. Because it's not a case of saying, okay, I've heard that before. It's a case of, am I open to what God is saying to me now, even though I might have heard this before? So for some, it may be that uh, you, it's a step to really get back into fellowship. That it's great to see this morning, and some of you might watching online. Maybe the step is to get back into fellowship. Now, for some, that's an impossible situation. I understand that, but for some, it is very much a possible situation. I encourage you to do it, and not just to tip, dip your toe in, but to say, "Okay, I'm now going to get back into fellowship." For some, you might want to think in terms of engaging in deeper fellowship, and 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 just maybe for one or two, the word of God for you this morning. Why don't you get involved in one of our connect groups? I'm, I'm going to take the step. Do you know what? If you get involved and you don't like it, that's absolutely fine. Uh, but take that step. For some, you might feel that you've been running on empty for a while and you're approaching a new season of life. It will be great to allow God and invite God to refresh you. And for some, it's simply about taking the next step of something that God has been telling you to do. And by the Holy Spirit this morning, you just, maybe as we pray, that will come to mind. And you think, yeah, God, I'm going to take that 